Good morning. Welcome to another episode of Crime Over Coffee. We're your hosts. I'm Abby. And I'm Erica. And today our editor Bryce will be joining us. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Today we're going to tell you about the disappearance of 20-year-old Lauren Spear. Grab your cup of coffee and let's dive in. Our story begins with 20-year-old Lauren Spear, a college student at Indiana University. Lauren grew up in Scarsdale, New York, with her mom, Charlene, and her dad, Rob. There, she graduated from Edgemont High School and decided to venture out to Indiana to start her college experience. She was described as full of life, always on the go, and fun to be with. She even spent her time volunteering with Habitat for Humanity, along with other similar organizations. Lauren began attending college at Indiana University in 2009, and during the time of our story, she was attending summer classes at the university while also hanging out with a steady group of friends. On Thursday, June 2nd, 2011, Lauren and her friends were out drinking at college bars in downtown Bloomington, and it was alleged that they were doing drugs. It is reported that they arrived at Kilroy Sports Bar around 1 a.m., Lauren and her friend, Corey Rossman, left the bar somewhere between 2.30 and 2.40 in the morning. Lauren and Corey walked to her apartment building, which was Smallwood Plaza, but they were only there for a short amount of time and reportedly did not actually enter her apartment. They were seen on the security cameras for her building, showing them entering the building and leaving together. It was reported later that when Corey and Lauren entered her apartment building, they ran into a group of guys and they weren't super happy with the way that Corey was treating her. So they ended up punching him and like knocking him over. And this is when Lauren and Corey decided to leave her apartment building. Were there reports on what he was doing that enraged the men? No, they just said that they didn't like the way that Corey was treating Lauren. I couldn't find any specifics on like what he was doing. I don't know if he was kind of like manhandling her in a way. It was reported that she was intoxicated at this point. So I don't know if he was like trying to help her out a little bit with walking or something. And they just saw and misinterpreted it for him somehow being abusive or something. I'm not sure. It just seems like it would have had to been something (laughs) extreme for them to interject and say, I'm going to hit you now. You would think... Stepping in is one thing and saying something, but they're just like, no, we need to get physical. Yeah, I'm not sure why it immediately jumped from just seeing it to immediately punching him and knocking him over. Jeez. But that will come into play later in the story, so pay attention to that. (laughs) After they left her apartment, they went a few blocks north to Corey's apartment, which was somewhere around North Morton and 11th Street. It's reported that shortly after arriving there, Corey actually went to bed. And after he went to bed, his roommate, Michael Beth, called their friend Jay Rosenbaum, who was also their neighbor, and they asked him if he would take care of Lauren. Jay agreed, and Michael walked Lauren to his apartment. When she got there, she kept saying that she wanted to keep partying, but Jay was trying to get her to lay down on the couch and get some sleep and then have her head home in the morning, but Lauren was not having it. So she left the apartment on her own to go back home to her apartment. How far was her apartment from there? Well, it's just a couple blocks away. I'm looking at the map here and I can kind of show you and I'll post a picture 
on our social media with a map of kind of where she was, her apartment was and where their apartment was. But this was their apartment and this is her apartment there. So in a college town, maybe a 10 minute walk. If that, it looks, it's not far. I feel like that's normal, especially I know when I was in college walking, that's just how you get everywhere, especially if you're out going to the bars. Yeah, instead of paying for parking everywhere you're going. It was reported that she left the apartment barefoot and without her phone, which her shoes and her phone were later found at Kilroy's bar. Jay told the police that he watched Lauren walk toward the intersection of North College and 11th, which is about a block. And then she turned south to walk the two blocks to her apartment building. The friend reports that it was about 4.15 in the morning on Friday when he last saw her turning south onto 11th Street. Her keys and her purse were later found on the street between the two buildings, the building of her friend's apartments, and then her apartment building. It is unknown when those ended up there, if they ended up there while she was like on the way to Jay and Corey's apartment building, or if it was when she was on her way home from their apartment. I also saw that it was reported somewhere that Jay had seen a bruise under Lauren's eye when she had first arrived at the apartment and he asked her about it, but she didn't really answer it. So they assumed that maybe she had fallen earlier in the night since she was intoxicated and had hit her eye on something. But see, that makes me wonder if potentially that was the reason why the other people in the apartment building had interacted with them and you know punched him because maybe he was getting violent with her or something serious was happening or maybe they were just being mean and punched both of them but that makes me wonder if that was sort of the reason why that altercation happened in the first place yeah that's possible i didn't really think about that and um just as a reminder what time was this that this happened or the last time she was seen this was like very early morning or late at night right yes it was about 4.15 in the morning. Okay, so did she did she live with anybody or have a boyfriend nearby that she was either in contact with or someone to go home to? Or what was her situation here? I believe that she had roommates, but when you're in college, your roommates don't always expect you to come home. And unless you're gone for multiple days at a time, they may not really think too much of it. But yes, she did have a boyfriend. His name was Jesse Wolf. They had actually been dating since high school, and he reported that he had been up all night texting with her until he fell asleep around about 2 to 2.30 in the morning. So I'm assuming that was before she left the bar, right? What time was that? Yeah, they left the bar around 2.30 and 2.40 in the morning, somewhere between there. Which just so happens to be when she left her phone there. Correct. Because I was wondering from his perspective, did he become suspicious when she suddenly stopped replying? But if he had fallen asleep, then that makes sense. Yeah, he had fallen asleep by the time that they had left the bar. So he wasn't aware that she had already left her phone there. Okay, so really, overall, there was no reason for anyone to be suspicious early on. Because to the two guys at the apartment, she was just headed home. And if she did have roommates, it's college life. They're probably not thinking too much into it. And her boyfriend was asleep. So that's really all I was kind of wondering. Correct. The mystery has been solved. Here at Crime Over Coffee, our go-to caffeinated beverage for every episode is Fire Department Coffee. And you can get some as well and save 15% with our exclusive coupon code CRIMEPOD15. 
owned and operated by firefighters and veterans, 10% of all their proceeds go directly to helping sick and injured first responders. And with an incredible range of flavors and caffeine strength, it's a company that all of us can easily support. So please go to firedeptcoffee.com and use our coupon code CRIMEPOD15 to support us, support them, help first responders, and get some incredibly tasty coffee along the way. So when did her friends or roommates first notice that she was missing? Well, the next morning, her boyfriend, Jesse, had actually tried to text her, and she didn't respond, but an employee at the Kilroy Sports Bar did respond to the text, letting him know that Lauren had left her phone there. And then I'm assuming he must have contacted her roommates or gone to check on her, and he couldn't find her or get a hold of her. And at that point, he reported her missing. After she was reported missing, the police began the search for Lauren. They originally started the search in just Bloomington, but about five days after her disappearance, they expanded the search to beyond the city limits. Bloomington Police Lieutenant Bill Parker stated that within the first five days, they had searched every part of the city at least once, and some of the areas near her apartment had been searched for any clues multiple times which is why they then decided to search the rest of the city. Police do believe that foul play is involved. However, there has not been any hard evidence released to the public that would support this theory. The search for Lauren contained hundreds of volunteers, which consisted of friends and family, both from in and out of state, as she was from New York. So a lot of her family from New York and her friends from New York did come and help as well. Investigators state that they have not found anything in her apartment that would be useful in helping to find Lauren. They did find a small amount of cocaine that was in her room during the investigation, which kind of plays back into the thought that they were using drugs that night. So they are not sure if she was under the influence of just alcohol or if she was also under the influence of drugs as well and possibly the cocaine. The family and friends have held many vigils for Lauren, and they are continuing to work with the police and investigators to try to find her. So Lauren's body has never been found? Correct. Her body is still missing, and she is still listed as a missing person. Has there been any um, confessions from anybody? No, there has not been anything from anyone. So this case pretty much just drops completely cold right after she was last seen. Absolutely zero evidence, zero ideas, anything that's helpful in any manner is just immediately drops cold. Correct. There was basically absolutely nothing to go on other than what was coming from her friends and their accounts of the night. But even that wasn't really anything to go on. So it's as if she literally just up and vanished and there's no trace of her. Vanished without a trace, yes. Did she ever have any um, past issues with anybody that they maybe investigated, like ex-boyfriends? I know you said she'd been with the same person since high school, but was there anyone else mixed in there that we know of? Not that has been reported. So if there was somebody from her past that she had had some issues with from New York or maybe even from the school, there was nothing that was indicated about that. So some of the theories that surround her disappearance are that maybe she overdosed the night that she was hanging out with her friends with the drugs that they were doing, uh, and the friends decided that they needed to do something with her body as a cover-up since they were participating in underage drinking and the drug use. Her friends actually lawyered up really quickly after her disappearance, 
And her boyfriend even started helping with the search at first, but eventually his parents took him away from helping out. And I'm not really sure why. I don't know if they just didn't want him getting involved in this and putting his name in even more. People even looked at her boyfriend as a possible suspect for a little while, but Jesse's roommate can confirm that he went to bed around 2.30 in the morning that day. Did it say why he wasn't at the bars? Yeah, so it actually said that the reason Jesse didn't go out with Lauren that night was he wanted to stay home and watch the NBA finals that night. I guess it makes sense that his parents would maybe pull him if rumors are flying and people are starting to suspect him. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I probably wouldn't want my kid involved in something like that if somebody's already kind of thinking that they're, they had something to do with it. It's probably better just to take a step back. It does look sometimes in cases suspicious when someone is involved, they can tie it to they want to know where the case is at and if they're at risk of being found out. Yeah, correct. All the friends and family of Lauren and of Jesse say that he was a loving boyfriend and he never would have hurt Lauren. So unless there was some stuff going on behind the scenes, which we see that a lot, it does happen. The friends and family really aren't at all suspicious of Jesse at all. Oh, and he had a rock solid alibi too. (laughs) He did. Jesse even cooperated with the police and answered all of their questions. And he was very open about his knowledge about the night. The police investigated Corey as he was the one that was mostly with Lauren that entire night. And he was one of the last people to see her other than Jay. They even took a DNA sample from him very early in the case. So I'm not sure if they had some sort of evidence that they wanted to compare the DNA to or if they were just wanting to have it on file in case they did stumble across something that they wanted to compare. Also, while they were doing the investigation and questioning Corey, he had actually claimed that he had lost his memory from the night due to being punched in the face in the apartment building. Or possibly from drinking. (laughs) Yeah, the drinking or the drugs. Or the police kind of wonder if the reason he's lost his memory is because he doesn't want to talk about some of the events that can kind of disassociate yourself with the night if you're not able to remember it. I also wonder too, we maybe mentioned earlier, if he was not treating Lauren correctly and he did something he was ashamed of, he wouldn't want to talk about it because I definitely wonder what led up to him getting attacked. Yeah, I'm not sure what led up to him getting punched in the face that night, but if he's a suspect in the case at all, like he's suspicious, and obviously he was because they took the DNA sample from him and questioned him, then I would think that the police would try to track down whoever it was that punched him in the face and find out what was going on. They also said that they had security footage from the apartment building, so I feel like they could have seen whatever was happening with Corey and Lauren. So who brought up the fact that there was an altercation? Was it Corey? Did he tell that story? Or how did they even know? I'm not sure if they approached him about the fact that he'd been punched in the face or if he ended up just kind of bringing it up and saying, also some group punched me in the face and I lost my memory. Because if he was trying to hide something, that would seem like something you don't want to bring up. It does seem fishy. I didn't even think about that. But yeah, that does make me wonder how it got reported. Yeah, I don't know. Like I said, they had the security footage, so it's possible that they just saw it on the footage. 
There is a photo of Lauren in the apartment building that night from the security footage. So I know that they had it and maybe on there is where they saw him getting punched in the face. And so they kind of confronted him about it. And then he used that as an excuse. But that's one of those things where it's probably just a piece of evidence they decided not to release to the public because I haven't seen it and I don't think you've seen it either. Because they say they have video of them going in and out of the apartment, but as far as any footage inside, it either hasn't been released or doesn't exist. Correct. Okay. Oh, (laughs) so were there cameras inside where the altercation happened as well? I think so. I don't know. The, The picture of her from the surveillance video is from inside. I don't know if it's from the inside just at the entrance because you can't see a lot around the picture of her. So I don't know if it's right at the entrance doors and they're recording right there or if there's cameras in all of the hallways. And I'm not 100% sure where exactly the altercation took place. If it was at the beginning of the building when they're first entering or if it's in a hallway somewhere. If you remember correctly, I said that they never ended up going into her apartment And I don't know if they knew that because they were roommates home or if she had to use some sort of key card to get into her room, but we do know that she didn't make it in there. So whether or not her friends had something to do with it and they covered up some sort of accident and did something with her body is still something that's a theory that's still discussed today, but I'm not sure how I feel about that theory. So either all three of them, Corey, Michael and Jay were in on it or maybe Michael and Corey were not and she went to Jay's because he was the last person to see her. Yeah, which is possible, I guess. But to me, it's super weird that three seemingly normal college kids or even just Jay were able to hide a body to the point that eight years later, it's still not been found. There's still no evidence. And nobody's confessed at all yet. There hasn't been any slip-ups or accidental talking or anything. So with that, the other theory that I've seen a couple times is this mysterious white truck that was seen in the area the night that Lauren went missing. It was spotted on surveillance footage near where she was last seen, and it was seen multiple times, and it looked like it had been sitting there quite a while, And they're not sure who the truck belonged to. They didn't get a license plate or anything. But some people wonder if it was just a crime of opportunity and whoever was driving this mysterious white truck had something to do with her disappearance. And I'm not sure if you said this, but was Lauren a small girl or? Yeah, so Lauren was only about 4 foot 11 inches tall and about 95 pounds. So she would have been probably pretty easy to subdue. Very easy to subdue and to pull into a white truck. So this white truck that we have a picture of, did police or anybody ever look further into trying to identify it or find the owner? Because maybe there's other footage or pictures that exist that just haven't been released. Did they find any owner? They actually did end up finding the owner pretty shortly after releasing the footage of the truck and they did talk to him and they ruled him out as a suspect they didn't really say why he was there or what he was doing but they did say that he is no longer somebody that they're looking into it's possible maybe he just had an alibi that made sense or some sort of other witness testimony that 
just helped with his alibi. Yeah, there's all kinds of options for why he could have been there that night. So to go along with the white truck theory that was ruled out, they did start investigating somebody named James McClish, who did drive a truck similar to the one that was in the footage. He was an ex-convict that had just been released from prison and was actually living about 10 minutes away from where Lauren went missing. What was he in prison for? James was actually in prison for assaulting his ex-wife. And then shortly after Lauren had gone missing, an anonymous woman in James's life came forward and told the police that they needed to look into him because he had made comments to her saying that what happened to Lauren could happen to you. And she made it clear that if he did kill Lauren, then her body would be buried in southern Indiana on a farm. But he immediately denied that he had anything to do with the disappearance and police of course, had him take a polygraph test and all the results came back showing that he was telling the truth and they declared that he was innocent and they stopped looking into him. So they stopped looking into him because of the results of his polygraph? Yes. Also, I think part of the reason that this theory with him kind of went away was because the owner of that white truck was eventually found and it wasn't him. Yes, but aside from the white truck, he almost confessed, in a way, to his girlfriend? To some anonymous woman in his life. It didn't say that it was his girlfriend. But it's also possible that maybe he was just using it as a random threat, just saying that you could go to, like, missing like this other girl in our area did. Or maybe she was just making it up to try to frame him for something. When someone commits a crime, they try to sometimes give off little clues just to see how close police can get, because that's just sometimes how the mind of a murderer works. But at the same time, if he was in prison for assaulting his ex-wife, then he could just kind of be the person that likes to be threatening and scary and, and just, you know, talk about, hey, you could end up like this girl too, and if I did it, I'd put you in this place. So it could very well be him just trying to be threatening because that's just his personality. But the fact that he talks in this way and there was a white truck, it does make it fairly suspicious. Well, and for me, the threat, yeah, sure, maybe he is just threatening her. But then he says that if he did kill Lauren, her body would be buried on a farm in southern Indiana. That is weirdly specific. She didn't say that he said that that's where the body would be. She just said that if he did kill her, that would have been where he would have buried the body. Which, yes, is oddly specific that she knows this place, but maybe this was just a place that he had access to that they wouldn't be searching already. That makes me wonder what kind of experiences that they've had with him that they already know where he's going to bury people. Like, what kind of life does this guy have if, you know, that's just, that's weird. It's sketchy. It's absolutely sketchy, I would agree, but... For whatever reason, the police decided that they were going to rule James out of this case. So do you guys want to go make a trip and interview him ourselves and put it on the podcast? Let's polygraph Uh, it. (laughs) Should we meet him at the farm? Okay. (laughs) Moving on. Our next suspect is Corey Hammersley. About a year after Lauren's disappearance, he had a meltdown while he was high on drugs, and he came out of his apartment wearing nothing but a hat, and he 
took a firearm and just started shooting into a random house. So, of course, after this, he was arrested and became an inmate at the Indiana State Prison. And while he was there, he started talking to another inmate. And this inmate actually came forward and said that one time while they were playing cards, a photo of Lauren came up on the television that was mounted on the wall. And immediately, Corey looked at the TV and said that he knew the guys that did that. And the other inmate questioned him about it. And Corey apparently told him a story about how Lauren died at a house party with a group of some students that he didn't really know. And they were all drinking and doing ecstasy. And she accidentally OD'd and they got really scared and didn't know what to do. So they disposed of her body in the Ohio River, which ties back into that first theory that we had of her friends having something to do with her body disappearing. And I'm sorry, did you say how old Corey was? I don't know how old Corey was. Um, I do know that he was once a star athlete at Indiana University, but I don't know his exact age. That was what I was wondering if it would make sense for him to be in connection with these people or at the party or what have you. Yeah, from what I understand, he was a student at the same time that Lauren was. And so he was out partying with them as well. So I just find it really odd that... It's just some other person who before had no real connection to the story is just randomly coming forward with really specific details about that night that seems to fit because there was partying, there was drinking, there was alleged drug activity, and he just knows all this, knows that she was at some sort of house party and potentially died there, and that's kind of blending in with other theories that already existed. It's just really specific that that just randomly came forward. Well, then I guess in theory, would that mean that her friend Corey and Jay and Michael were involved? Well, maybe, but I kind of took it a little bit differently as if after she was done at Jay's house, because she did leave, he saw her walking away. If after that, she ended up going to a random house party. I guess a follow up to that is she left at 430 I mean, were house parties still going on at 5 a.m., I wonder? I don't know. I wasn't a student at the time. He did say that they were taking ecstasy. Is that what he said? Yes. Okay, so I'm honestly not terribly familiar with different drugs, but I feel like ecstasy is something that you take for having energy or just, I guess, something used to like liven up the party a bit. So I guess it's possible people were still up and partying at this time. And then... It also, what's the definition in his head of a party? How many people would need to be there? Is it just a couple friends hanging out? Is that a party to him? Or would you think it would be a lot? And it also makes me wonder how this information got to him. Like, he could have also been someone at this party, and they all just did this pack where nobody talks about it. Or if it was just sort of word of mouth heard through people, and that's how some information kind of shifted So I looked into it and the Ohio River is about a three hour drive from Bloomington. So for me, it's kind of weird to think about this group of college students all driving a body out to the Ohio River and dumping it. Well, they also could have hid her body somewhere and waited till later on to dump it as well. Yes, but that kind of makes me think that maybe there's some more like 
psychological stuff going on with the people that did something with the body because how if you're holding on to it for well a 12 hour 24 hour period whatever wouldn't you start to feel a little bit of guilt and don't you think somebody probably would have come forward with that at some point possibly i mean i guess it would just depend on who was involved with it and how desperately they want to keep this secret also just want to let you guys know that the ohio river is pretty big it's about 167 feet deep at the most i also want to let you guys know that the ohio river is pretty big it averages about 16.4 feet deep throughout the entire thing but the deepest parts can go up to about 167 feet deep and it flows all the way into the mississippi river which then flows into the ocean so it could be just about anywhere So while Corey seems like a really good suspect, they haven't been able to confirm that any of his statements are true. And as far as I know, they haven't ruled him out completely, but they also aren't necessarily actively investigating it as there's no evidence. Our next suspect is a 52-year-old named Daniel Messel. And some of you may be familiar with this name as he was actually convicted of killing another college student that attended Indiana University whose name was Hannah Wilson. And she was found dead on April 24th, 2015, which was about four years after Lauren went missing. This suspect came about in November of 2017 when the Brown County prosecutor named Ted Adams said that he believed Daniel could be connected. He said that there were some similarities with the cases, so I'm just going to briefly go over Hannah's case. 22-year-old Hannah had gone out with her friends that night and had been going around to different bars in Bloomington, and they actually were at the same bar that Lauren was at, that Kilroy Sports Bar that same night. Um, And she was actually out celebrating her final exams being done and the end of her senior year of college. But sometime in the night, she disappeared. Her roommate reports that she had heard the front door open around 1 a.m., but never heard it closed. And the door was found slightly ajar the next morning. So it's unclear as to whether or not she was attacked while she was walking into her apartment or if she had already made it into her apartment. Her cell phone and her purse were both found in her bedroom, which leads me to believe that she did actually make it to her room. And then for whatever reason, ended up leaving again or something. I'm not really sure. But because Hannah had fought back, when her body was found, there was actually evidence that was found right there on the scene that was able to lead police to the killer within minutes. Laying next to Hannah's body was the cell phone of 52-year-old Daniel Messel. When they found his cell phone, they immediately went to Daniel's home and just happened to see him carrying a garbage bag of bloody clothes and his vehicle, which was also splattered with blood. Dun, dun, dun. What a dumb ass. He left his phone at the scene of the crime. Yeah, so I'm not sure if he just wasn't thinking, if he got spooked and just ran, but... There was evidence that Hannah had actually fought back against Daniel and throughout the altercation, somehow Daniel dropped his phone. And I don't know if he just didn't notice that he had dropped his phone or if something spooked him and he just ran and didn't have time to look. So I don't really know what the connection was between Hannah's case and Lauren's case, 
except for the fact that they were around the same age and it happened in the same place. But like I said, it was the prosecutor that came forward and said that they believed that they could be connected. And it wasn't the actual investigators saying that. Personally, this is one of my least supported theories that I feel like I've presented. And I'm not sure that I really see it. It seems weird to me that somebody would make somebody go missing without a trace and without a body ever being found. And then four years later, slip up enough where he's found the next morning because he left his cell phone there. So as you've been discussing some of the details of this case and some of these theories, it's actually brought to mind a different case that we've looked into before. Uh, There's a man who has over a decade of random killings across the country that most of which have gone unsolved. And we believe that we have possibly linked this Lauren case to this man who will for now remain unknown. So stay tuned for next week when we dive deep into his case as well. So like I said, Lauren is about four foot, 11 inches tall, about 95 pounds, and she has blonde hair and blue eyes. I'm going to be posting a photo of her on our social media. So if you want to go and take a look at it and see if she's somebody you recognize, Her dad did say that the photos of her that are circulating with the missing persons case do not accurately show how blonde her hair is, so it might look more blonde in person. She was last seen wearing black pants and a white tank top with a white top over it. If you have any information regarding her disappearance, you can go to findlauren.com, a website ran by her parents, or call the Bloomington Police Department at 812 339-4477. You can also go to crimestoppers.com and submit an anonymous tip. Please report it if you know anything so that Lauren's parents can finally know what happened to their daughter. Email us at crimeovercoffeepod at outlook.com for questions or to suggest cases that you would like us to cover. Also, check out our Facebook at Crime Over Coffee Podcast and our Instagram at Crime Over Coffee.